So welcome everybody to uh, what is episode 14 of Level Up, our weekly Q&A show where your questions really do drive the whole conversation. If you're watching on us on LinkedIn or on YouTube, then please follow the links in the chat across the Slido, which is where you get to drive the show by voting up the questions that you would like answered and also by adding your own. The first half of the show is all general Q&A and our theme today is about online learning. So you can ask pretty much anything that you would like really relating to that. In the second half, we're going to focus on virtual classrooms, how to get the best out of them and what makes for a great learning experience. So let's jump straight in. We're going to meet our panel. I'm delighted to be joined by two colleagues today from South Africa. First of all, Lauren Anderson, who is a senior trainer with Talk IT. She teaches a wide range of courses and returns actually for her third episode with us today. Welcome back, Lauren. Hi, Nick. Thanks so much. Becoming part of the furniture, I think. Um, super excited to be joining you for this topic. Obviously, coming out of the training environment, this is a real near and dear topic for me. Something I had a real battle with, and I'm really excited to be given the opportunity to share that experience with everybody else. Thanks, Nick. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. Also from South Africa, but in a different city, is Tazea Combrick. She is the project management technology lead over at Net Campus, and it's her first appearance on the panel. So, welcome to Zaya. Thank you, Nick. It's being on this panel and, and being able to share some knowledge and also gain some knowledge from everybody on the panel from the questions. Thank you. Okay, brilliant. Next, we welcome Berinda Hotty, who is the Group CEO and Managing Director at the Knowledge Academy in the UK, a training provider who now operate pretty much globally, actually. So welcome, Berinda. Really good to see you. Thank you, Nick. Um, good morning, everybody. I'm very happy to be here. I'm happy to share some of our experiences in delivering online learning and virtual learning and, you know, really uh specializing in that type of learning now that we've come through the pandemic and uh really excited to hear what the questions are and uh, hear from the panel as well and just share some of our best practices that we've learned brilliant thank you so much um, somebody also who shares that kind of hybrid background is uh matthew blake he's joining us from vietnam he's worked in both the it and the education sectors and is currently head of primary at the Vietnam Australia International School. Um, Matt has a real depth of experience and in understanding how people learn. So uh, welcome, Matthew. Hi, Nick. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah, so, I mean, I started with e-learning way back in 2009, back at SAS. I worked in the kind of video production area, did a bit of technical support for the systems back then. And then I became a teacher <laughs> and I did all my qualifications, got a master's and worked my way up and now I'm the head of an international school and the pandemic has shown us how important online learning is as well it's something I really care about yeah absolutely and, and I think one of the topics for us to kind of feel our way through today is you know how to make sure that that online experience has highest you know the highest possible value you know for every learner you know, regardless of uh, of their age or the subject and that kind of thing. And a person who focuses very much on quality and makes up the final member of our panel today is Paul Sutton. He's joining us from Wellington in New Zealand. Paul's first appearance actually with us on Level Up today. He's the senior trainer and lead consultant for Project Results. So welcome, Paul. Um, thank you, Nick. And uh, it's great to be here and to be part of the team and part of this panel. 
Um, so you started off with the classroom training and, and then did the, the, the online stuff as well as part of the service. But also with uh, COVID, et cetera, we've got lots more in the virtual because physically we can't do it together. And so that's been a learning experience. So I'd be pleased to share my experiences and hear from the group as well because we're all learning how to do this and I think it's going to be the future. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think Lauren's going to, you know, she's got a very, you know, from the heart presentation to kind of share with us a little bit later on um, in the second half of the show when we focus on virtual classroom technologies. So um, uh, now then, look, if you're watching and you're feeling that actually, you know, you could join us here on the panel, we do welcome new people every week. Um, so please do just mention it in the chat and one of the team will be in touch with you to show you how to uh, how to do that, how to volunteer. OK, so let's jump now straight into the questions. We'll welcome our question master for today, who is Suchitra. She's joining us from Bangalore. So Suchitra, may we have the first question, please? Hi, everyone. We have a question from Rajesh in Bangalore, India. What is recommended? A self-paced online course or an instructor-led training? Okay, Lauren, go ahead. In my opinion, and it may be a slightly biased opinion, I would always suggest you go for an instructor-led um, training. It gives you the opportunity to actually ask questions, whereas a self-paced online course is often just a listen and learn um, style course. Okay, and um, uh, it's an interesting kind of perspe perspective, and we'll come back to that uh, in a moment. Um, Tizé, you wanted to add something? Then we'll come to Paul. Uh, Paul, do you want to go ahead? Uh, then we'll come back to Tizéa. Yeah, um... Look, I think it depends on uh, what mode of learning you want. Um, often, you know, price can be a factor and timing can be a factor. Um, true online training, you can do often wherever Thanks, you Nick. want, whereas instructing. So, um, based on my experience and, and, and from a lot of years of, of um, training in, in terms of virtual led, led versus instructor led, um, I find you have different audiences within instructor led and different audiences. Okay, um, uh, Tizaya, I think we may be having a little bit of a, a challenge with Tizaya just now. So, um, Nigel, maybe you could uh, work with her on that. And uh, Paul, we'll come to you for your answer now, if that's okay. <laughs> and we'll come back to uh, Tizaya to, to in, in a few moments. All right. So I think there's um, uh, timing things sometimes around instructor lead. You have to fit within a specific time. Um, whereas online you can choose your timing, but you may not get as much interaction. But you may get an online course where you get support and can actually access an instructor as well. So um, I think it's just a matter of looking around and finding the package that works best for you. Um, the instructor lead, you can get near to classroom experience though. Okay, thanks very much indeed. Um, Berinda, you wanted to add something. Yes, um, I think a couple of things to take into consideration. Um, timing, obviously, as Paul has said, is important. So if you want to complete something in a small 
sort of time period, you know, classroom, sorry, virtual training um, with an instructor end to end in five days would be, you know, um, a, a good way to go. But I would warn that if you are thinking of doing pure online learning, so it's going to be completely self-paced, you have to be careful because a big risk really is if you are a procrastinator, um, it's quite tough to, you know, to stay on the task and set time aside. You've got to be fairly disciplined. Um, because you want to keep the momentum going. The last thing you want to do is, you know, dip in and out of it. Um, and, you know, that tends to cause a, a, an impact on your outcomes if you're, if you're a bit disjointed in that way. So um, it's pros and cons, really. It depends what type of learning style you have as well that makes uh, an impact and, of course, the urgency. Yeah, really, really good point. Our, our own learning styles influence this hugely. Um, Matthew? Yeah, I think... Another thing to take into consideration is what you're actually learning. Is, you know, things like Excel, some of those can be done quite quickly with a self-paced online course. But if you're doing something a bit more complicated, a bit more theoretical, like everyone's saying, it's, it's very good to have an instructor who you can actually ask questions and get a better understanding of why you're learning a theory. On some of the, some of the courses I've done, it's not really explained, like, what is this theory? Why do I actually need to learn this? Whereas when you have an instructor, they can clear that up straight away. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's let's try one more time with the technology and see if we can um, hear from Tazaya this time. Go ahead, please. Uh, thank you, Nick. Um, thanks, everybody. So what I discovered with um, training and self-paced training is the different audiences that you have and the different generations that you have. So I always find with um, certain people prefer to do self-paced training um, because they like to learn on their own and others actually want instructor-led training because they need somebody to, to actually help them along. They can't sit and watch um, e-learning or, or videos on their own and they get very distracted and they find they actually can't finish those courses. Yeah, some really, really good points made. And I would say that, you know, um, I echo really what everybody has been saying. From my own perspective, I remember you know, sitting at university, admittedly, it was about 100 years ago for me. And and some of the face-to-face -face courses were fantastic. You know, people brought their subject to life. They were almost teaching, you know, stones how to jump. They were just incredible, interesting, fascinating, engaging, thrilling at times. Okay. And there were others which maybe weren't, you know, and actually relied on you trying to... <gasps> stay the full distance you know to listen and to learn from the very experienced practitioner but nonetheless somebody who perhaps you know wasn't really doing that that great with the content and the same is true of our online learning experiences if you've got course designers who really understand how people learn they can create amazing self-based content that branches and reinforces and allows you to review and, and cover over again you know those areas that you're struggling with and um, if you're teaching in a virtual classroom environment people can reach out and differentiate for you as an individual learner you know your own learning experience so there are definitely pluses and minuses to each technique I would say <laughs> at the bottom of it though it's all about choosing a quality provider and if you can look at some of the course material, 
you know, that's available um, to you online, a little bit like you would read, you know, a review of a book on Amazon, or you'd have a little look inside the cover to, you know, see what uh, the writing style is, if you like, of a particular author, you know, that kind of thing. Very good. Well, look, brilliant question. Thank you so much for asking it. Suchitra, let's move on now. And we'll take the next question, please. We have a question from Ian in New South Wales in Australia. I teach a lot of online virtual courses. What is your recommendation regarding the use of web cameras in virtual classes? Okay, Tizaya first and then Lauren. All right, so my recommendation is really to have a really good quality webcam. And yes, learned this over quite some time and advice from, from other specialists in the field as well. But it's also not important, you know, it's also very important not just to have a webcam, but make sure that your webcam is on and make sure that your, your students or your delegates have their webcams on so that you can see each person and actually interact with each person. If they can't see you, the people who focus more on, on visual learning won't actually be able to learn the way that they should be. And those that use the, the audio um, to be able to listen and learn they won't actually be able to, you know, that they'll be able to learn, but it really is important to have your camera on and have a very good quality camera so everybody can see you. Okay, thank you very much, Lauren, and then Matt. I agree. Um, love having the cameras on. It, it makes it feel like we're face-to-face. -face. It allows you to make that connection. However, I do find with a lot of my delegates and some of the activities that we do, it's quite hard to do it with the camera on. Um, it causes lags in the network, etc. So generally what I do is I create a balance where we'll have a discussion with our cameras on, then we'll put the cameras off and we'll do a bit of an activity and then we go back onto cameras on and that way we, we manage to kind of get the best of both worlds. Okay, thank you, Matt. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree as well. Like, um, it's really important to have those cameras on so you're getting the interaction especially if you're the one delivering the course and you're just looking at a bunch of avatars, you're getting no kind of response from your learners, it can derail, well not derail your lesson, but it can make it a lot more difficult for you as a teacher to kind of judge what, what is actually happening with the class. Are they understanding what you're saying? Or you, know, you, just, you just have no idea if the cameras aren't on. It's good to keep them on. Yeah, very, very, very much so. Um, Berinda, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, the cameras, in my opinion, should remain on where possible if the technology and the bandwidth allows, because um, really, I mean, if we go back to traditional classroom training, it's, for me, it's almost like somebody sitting in your classroom with their back to you. Um, and normally in, in that scenario, as an instructor, you would be managing that and ensuring that they're engaging. And I think the cameras give us a lot of visual clues. Um, as to how the learners are uh, receiving the information, whether they're interested, whether they're understanding. So I think all of that body language will be missing all of that feedback if we switch the cameras off. It's it's certainly true. And the emotion that we're able to display, you know, when we're very, very young, tiny, tiny babies, they begin to map out people's faces and recognise emotion is very, very early on in our brain development. So it's a key part, I think, of the communication toolkit, you know, that we have as educators mm -hmm. for our students to be able to see at least us and to be able to understand the emotion that we have when we're illustrating a particular point. 
And um, it's also good if we can get that response coming back. And I know that for, for some people, in some situations, that's not always possible, particularly when you're you know, teaching young people and um, you're joining them in their own home environments. So it's not always possible, but wherever, wherever we can, <laughs> it's a great tool to be able to use for that visual communication and reinforcement. And it also, I think, gives an opportunity to connect at a more deeper level with remote learners you know if you can just bring yourself to life a little bit and even if it's not in the structured part of the course but actually just by starting your class a little early and hanging out with them in the same way that you know they would do if they were coming into a physical classroom they'd spend 10 minutes or so beforehand some people would come in early and others would come in on time and say good morning and you kind of greet each other and do that kind of thing so it's an important social dimension i think so again a really good question and thank you very much uh, panel for your thoughts um, let's move on then sachita and take the next question please we have a question from rebecca in canberra australia do you have any tips for staying motivated through an online course particularly a self-paced course without interaction with other students so Brenda was talking a bit a little bit earlier about trying to maintain that self-discipline. You know, if you are studying um, on your own, that's something that challenges me certainly. But Brenda, what what works for you? You've you've done a lot of um, self-improvement, self-learning over the years. What's worked for you personally? Any tips you could share? Well, I always ensure that if I'm taking on any kind of learning myself or any program, that first of all I have to be motivated to do that piece of learning. And for me, it's about, you know, what is the outcome? You know, it's not just passing an examination and getting a certification. It's like, how is that going to change my life? So as a learner, we, we often encourage our learners to, to think about what next. So you, you're going to finish this program. What is it going to achieve for you? Is it going to give you um, a promotion? Is it going to give you the opportunity to change job roles? Is it going to make you more effective? And I think if you think about the outcome throughout, um, you focus on the outcome and what you're working towards it can help motivate you um, and it is difficult um, but a lot of the online learning programs now do have communities around them which I think is very nice so you still can have some level of interaction it's not real time of course but I think a good provider will always um, you know connect you to a subject matter expert if you require so I don't think learners should feel like they're completely um, you know separated and isolated um, I think all good providers you know will want to support their learners in the best way possible by connecting them with people and subject matter experts throughout so I think for me it's about doing things for the right reason to begin with and staying motivated and focused on the end goal yeah definitely thank you and um, Tizé I definitely agree with Baron that there, there's a reason why you are doing the self-paced learning and that you have a specific goal in mind. Even though you're not able to directly interact with any delegates or, or students, there are people out there who are doing the same course. So, you know, if the provider can't provide you with a study group to maybe join, you can even put it on social media and say, you know what, I'm doing this course. Is anybody else out there doing this course? Let's create a study group. Let's chat about it. 
it really does help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great, great advice. You know, get those, get your peers helping you on your journey. It's the same when we're tackling anything challenging in life, you know, knowing that you've got that support out there. It's a really important thing. So uh, tap into all of that. And community is so powerful, isn't it? It really, really is so powerful. And if you're like me, if you're an 11th hour and a 59th minute type person, then, you know, maybe break that, break those goals down a little bit and, and decide what is it, what is it that you're going to achieve today, you know, towards that course progression and uh, take each day then one at a time as you move forward. Excellent. Thank you very much. And um, let's move on, uh, if we can, Chitra, to the next question. We have a question from Joshua and Delhi. What will be the future of online learning after COVID-19? Okay, the future of online learning. Big question. Let's start off with Paul and then we'll come to Matt next. I, I think with COVID, the world has changed and I think there will be a lot more online and virtual learning happening. Um, people realise that, you know, we can do this. Uh, there's lots of advantages and they will be doing more of it. So uh, you know, I think it's going to be part of the mix. Um, so as we move out of lockdowns, people will be able to do maybe more face-to-face classroom. Um, but online is still going to be an option. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Matt? Yeah, um, like many kind of schools around the world, what we found in Vietnam is kids have actually done better <laughs> um, during the corona time, during like not a full, not a full year lockdown, but where we've had like three-month lockdowns we've managed to kind of you know, counter that with online teaching, live classes and recordings of, of classes. And that's actually really helped the kids in the middle, middle learners kind of go up. So you know, obviously that's making a bigger gap between the low and the middle, which is something that needs to be addressed at some point. But for the time being, the average results are actually going up um, with online learning at primary level. We're talking about six-year-olds now who are using like Microsoft Word and Microsoft Office products, which is something they would never have learned until a bit later. Um, but because they have to, they're now really good at IT um, and it's been really beneficial for them. Okay, thank you. Briefly to Zaya, so we can fit some more questions in. Go ahead. All right. So I think globally people have realised throughout and even after you know, certain areas have opened up, that they don't have to fly somewhere to attend a course. They don't have to be in the classroom. They can be anywhere and, and do an online course. And it's, it's actually provided a more central point where everybody can communicate globally and be in one place at the same time. So I think it's here to stay. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Thank you very much. Next question, Sachitra, please. I know we've got lots of questions stacking up. Go ahead. We have a question from David in Perth, Australia. I bought an online course last month and I have a lot of questions about some of the topics. What is the best resource to get these answers? The online course doesn't seem to provide any extra information. Okay, so it's a bit of a challenge to be able to answer this one. So I'm just going to give you a a fairly generic answer. I would get in touch with the provider, okay, straight away and talk to them about this because you know, um, there may have been a little bit of a misunderstanding or a mismatch when you were buying the course, but they are definitely there to help you. Mm-hmm. So jump straight back to them as a provider, okay, and do ask them because quality providers will provide you with all of the help and the support that you need to be able to get answers to those key questions. Next question, please, Sachitra. 
We have a question from Rebecca in Canberra, Australia. What should I know or consider before deciding to take an online course? Okay, so what do you need to know? What are the considerations before going online? Uh, Lauren, go ahead, and then Brenda. Okay, so in light of the previous question, I think the one thing you've got to know is who is the provider and um, what sort of support are they going to offer? But apart from that, be very clear on what you want to gain from the course. Are you wanting to gain some knowledge that you can apply at work? Are you wanting to gain an, um, a certification? Does the course come with an exam? Uh, consider costing, consider um, how the course is going to be presented and by whom because all those things make quite a big difference to the success of your online learning. Absolutely. Thank you, Brenda. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And one small point would be, um, you know, don't be shy to ask uh, your provider or your potential provider for a demonstration, uh, particularly with uh, self-paced mm. learning. Um, they should um, be very accommodating to provide you with um, an opportunity to take a look in advance at what type of course this is and and whether it's going to be the right fit for you. Yeah, definitely. And um, uh, really, really good advice there. So thank you very much. Um, Satisha, we can probably fit in, I think, one or two more questions before we go to the focus topic. So next question, please. Uh, we have a question that's just coming from one of the live audience. How do you manage the diversity of capabilities, cultures and expectations? Okay, so for those of us who are delivering online, how are you managing that in real time when you're teaching to people from different countries, different cultures and different capabilities? How are you differentiating that learning experience for each individual learner in your classrooms? Um, Paul, how would, how would you go about trying to do that? So we're talking, I guess, virtual training where we've actually, uh, rather than just a you know, pre-packaged where I'm yep. actually training. Um, so one of the things we've learned um, is to, I try and have a little bit of sort of one-on-one -on -one time with each of the candidates beforehand. Uh, get, get a bit of a feel because you, you don't have that sort of around the coffee conversations otherwise, and that's quite useful. And then the breakout rooms are useful as well um, because uh, with that, you know, people will be in smaller groups and then the instructor can pop in and out of that and then interact with people. Um, and, you know, whatever, lots of tools have a sort of mix and match facility so you can mix them in different groups. Um, that can give a bit of an idea as well. Uh, people interact Excellent. in different ways. Some people like talking and some don't. So, yeah. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much, Lauren. So I agree with all Paul's suggestions. Uh, also, um, I often don't get the option or the opportunity to have that chat before the time with, with my delegates. I meet them for the first time as we go into our course and into our intro. So I generally make sure I've got a number of things, different activities, uh, different ways of carrying out the activities on hand so that I can mix and match. And um, I find that if you've got very simple activities that can be extended, then it allows you to accommodate whatever levels you're working with. I also will use the breakout rooms as Paul suggested, but then put in a mix of levels so that they are lifting each other and carrying each other to an extent. 
Any thanks, Berinda and then Matt? Yeah, I think um, um, breakout rooms are. Sorry, that's all sorry. right, Matt. So Berinda <laughs> first. Yeah, go ahead, Brenda. Uh, I would just add to that, um, you know, it's always great from the onset to understand what people's expectations are of the programme. So just a general open question before we start the programme, you know, often is quite revealing about what their expectations are. And as, as an instructor, it's great to know that up front because everybody's expectations are going to be slightly different and we can then tailor our support through the programme to, to meet those expectations where possible. Okay, last comment on this particular question, Matt, and then we'll move on. Like I say, with, with expectations, um, you know, going back to some of the outcomes for previous students, you know, for, for me in a school, we look back at last year and we can say to parents, like, we know this is, this is going to work. Um, with differentiation of your students, I always find it's good to, we have three or four tasks, but all the students are expected to complete those tasks, but they can do them in, in, in a different order. So for example, you might say, okay, you guys, you start with task three, because you know that's the one that's gonna really challenge them and they're gonna need support with. Whereas the other kids might be, oh, okay, you guys start with, start with task one and do task two. Just so more of your instructor or your teaching time can be focused when they're actually doing the tasks that are more relevant or more challenging for that particular group. Yeah, absolutely. Good advice. Thank you very much. All about getting to know people, really, and those expectations. We can fit one last question in before the focus topic. So can we have the last Q&A question, please, uh, Suchitra? We have a question from Chantal and Hyvikram in the UK. I'm due to work on a blog post project with my classmates, and this is completely online. Do you have any advice for virtual team collaboration? To say, go ahead. Right, definitely. There's, there's actually quite a lot of collaboration tools out there and some inexpensive collaboration tools, um, which allow, you know, it's, it's not just your breakout rooms while you're offering your training, the actual collaboration tools that you use to allow people to, to upload, answer questions, and actually, you know, if they need to store files or, or answers to questions, and they could actually create their own groups on those particular collaboration tools. That's very important very to have a, a good collaboration tool. All right, excellent. Okay. Thanks very much indeed, panel. That's really good. So we're going to change gear now, if we can, and um, introduce you to uh, Lauren. Lauren's going to take us through our focus topic, which is all about really the use of virtual um, classroom technology in teaching and learning, what works well and, you know, how to get the best out of whichever platform you've chosen. She's going to speak from her own experience in pivoting across to this kind of teaching and learning during the pandemic. So, um, Lauren, please go ahead. Thanks so much, Nick. You know, before 2020, uh, we hardly ever had to present an online course. And if we occasionally did get asked to present an online course, I was always the first of the trainers to raise my hand to volunteer one of the other trainers. Because as an experienced trainer, I knew that the success of your training was directly linked to the connection you could make with your delegates. And everybody knows you can only connect with your delegates face to face. Mm, or so I thought. 2020 arrived with a huge bang um, and devastatingly threw us all into a state of chaos. 
huge organ uh, by March, South Africa actually went into lockdown along with most of the rest of the world. Um, organizations, big and small, were scurrying around trying to find how to stay afloat, how to pay the bills. And of course, the rest of us had to figure out how we could still offer value to our companies. And for us as trainers, that meant we had to go online. Fortunately, I thought, this would just be a short-term measure and very soon we would be back to normal. However, by mid-July, end of July, it became really, really clear that normal was no longer how I understood normal. And if I was wanting to still um, remain relevant and with a clear conscience ask for a salary every month, I had to up my game. And that meant really understanding how to do what I had loved doing for so many years online. Um, this was daunting. I had lots of fears, lots of what ifs. And I'm sure many of the trainers out there can relate to the what ifs. What if the delegates don't talk at all? What if they talk too much? What if I can't manage the technology? What if they can't manage the technology? Um, what if they all talk at once and I don't know what anybody's saying? So for me, my go-to when I'm dealt with a whole lot of what ifs is homework, study, research, try, test, and that is what I then did. So I kind of tried every tool that I could find, every software application, every app, um, platforms, techniques, and by the end of it, I had a really traumatizing discovery that it was just too mind-boggling and overwhelming for me to actually tackle. So I then took a very deep breath and tried to look at it from the point of view of a trainer and said, okay, if I'm going to train somebody else to deliver online training, where would I start? And I realized that training, regardless of platform, remains training. And for you to be good at training, you need to plan and you need to prepare. And that brought me to this roadmap that I created for myself. Um, I said, okay, so where do I start? And as is often the case with, with planning, I started with the end in mind. Establish what the outcome is or what outcome is required from your training. Not just the syllabus outcome or just the exam, but look at the full package. What syllabus outcomes are required? Is there an exam involved? If so, how does the exam um, tie in with the syllabus outcomes? What will the participants use the information that they have gained to um, accomplish in the workplace? How are they going to apply it? And then once we've got clarity on that outcome, we can then jump to the start. In, with that clear understanding of where you're aiming, you can now look at what is my topic exactly and be careful to examine the boundaries of that topic because it is even easier to go off track online than it is face to face. So know where your topic starts, know where it ends. Um, then you look very carefully at your audience. Who is going to be attending your course? How many people? What are their ages? languages, uh, professions, if relevant. Uh, what is their expected 
proficiency on the topic as well as on the software that you're going to be using. All of this helps you make decisions later on in your planning. Then we go on and we look at our timing. How long is the course going to be in total? What are our start times and our finish times? Um, are we going to have breaks? This information we can then take with us into our next step, where we can now explore the content of our course. Look at, first of all, having a really catchy introduction. And how long is that going to take you? How many modules are you going to have? How are you going to divide your topic area up? Then, based on the content, um, what activities do you want to make use of? What tests, quizzes, polls, group discussions, etc. And then finally, how are you going to end the course? There's nothing more uncomfortable than getting to the end of a very good course and then everybody's kind of all online in stony silence and nobody really knows what to do. So actually have a very decisive, this is the end of the course. If there's an action going forwards, a call to action, put that call to action out there and finish. Um, this, of course, speaks to your timing. The whole process speaks to your timing. And now we're beginning to gather the information that we need to look at software and platforms, etc. The last consideration is what is the structure and what learning activities are going to be carried out? So by structure, I mean, is your course going to be 100% online virtual training? Or are you going to have a bit of a combination of virtual training and self-study? Or maybe blended courses where you have some elements face-to-face -face and then some elements online? Or what we quite often find lately is we're ending up with mixed classes where we have some delegates face-to-face -face and at the same time some delegates online. All of these things together with the learning activities will impact your timing. So make sure you practice and plan activities very carefully and practice them a few times because the timing is actually very, very crucial. This brings us to the fun part. So now I know what my course is about. I know what activities I want to carry out. Now I can look at what software can I use to support the training. And what was in the beginning, the most daunting aspect of virtual training for me has become the most fun. Just be careful here, not to use too many tools in one session. Um, it becomes overwhelming for both you as the trainer and for your attendees. But you're looking at what platform are you going to use? And quite often this is dictated a bit by who your audience is going to be. In our case, we only make use of Teams and Zoom because most of our customers or our clients only allow for one or the other on their networks. Um, once you've decided on your platform, look at what other apps are available. So my go-tos, or a few of my go-tos, my favorite go-tos, are Mural. I love Mural. It's a very interactive, um, collaborative whiteboard and easy to work and easy to, to learn uh, application. Another one, if you're going to be running little tests or quizzes, is Quizlet, or maybe Polly, if you're wanting to do just quick polls on how people are feeling or are they understanding. Uh, Flipgrid is another stunning tool. I generally only use it when I'm running longer courses 
but it's really nice for collaborating and getting video feedback and um, even inviting guest speakers into training sessions. Um, the other tool that one needs to consider when you're training online is some form of evaluation tool. So at Talk IT, they have a standard um, online evaluation tool that we make use of, um, that I think is actually a, a Microsoft tool called Metrics That Matter. But even if you're not doing that, allow the attendees the opportunity to give you feedback on the content, on the um, technology, on the trainer, on the training. It, for me, that's my, my opportunity to grow. If I can get good feedback, I know what to do better in the, in the future. And there, if nothing else, use Excel or use Poly, but allow them that opportunity to give you feedback. Our planning is now pretty much done and we've covered all areas. Now it's crunch time and they say the proof is in the pudding. So you definitely don't want to drop the ball at this point. We are now sitting there, our delegates are facing us or our attendees are facing us. Um, we've been dealing with all the mutes that can't unmute and the, the video cameras that don't want to turn on and we are now into the delivery part of our training. There's a few things here. You've put in a lot of effort. If you have followed my roadmap, you've put in a lot of effort to planning and preparing and um, you don't want to lose it now. So stay organized. Make sure you have a good intro that not only does the normal, this is who I am and this is why I'm attending the course, but speak to your attendees about timing, um, speak to them about the software that's going to be used, explain the platform to them if they haven't used it before, how do they raise their hand, um, what do they do if they want to ask a question and you're busy talking and talking and talking. Go through that process with them. If you're going to use specific apps, maybe use the intro to allow the delegates to um, attempt use of the app, the app. So for instance, if you're going to use Mural, allow them to create little sticky notes and pin up their objectives. Um, by the time you start training, then they're familiar with the apps. Engage your delegates. Don't just talk, ask questions, let them respond. Allow times for them to have discussions amongst themselves even. Um, just make sure you're keeping it on topic. Remain consistent so that you're creating that flow. Um, concise to the point, a 30, 30 second to one minute example um, is worth way more than 30 minutes of a wrangling long explanation. Keep the focus, always tie back what you're doing to the objectives required for the um, virtual training or the course. Be as brief as possible. Um, don't explain concepts that have already very clearly been grasped. Don't re-explain concepts that have already very clearly been grasped. And where possible, make use of visuals. A picture says, a, um, they say a picture speaks a thousand words. It's also what people remember. You will give them a whole hour of absolutely beautiful explanation and two weeks later, they'll tell you the spider diagram that you drew on the board behind you. But your beautiful explanation is gone with the wind. So use visuals, people will remember. Before we close up, I have to mention some of the, the problems or the challenges that are probably more specific to online training. 
Um, and most of them you'll see could actually be overcome by following the step in our previous slide, the steps in our previous slide on good delivery and also our good preparation. So delegates that are signed in but are very clearly not there, where you ask questions and you get no response and eventually you get to the end of the session and everybody's left the meeting, but that one person is still there and not responding. Um, either they've slept or they've left the room. How do you deal with that? Again, if you are engaging your delegates, you will pick up very quickly that there's something wrong there. Um, connectivity issues or what we have, and I think it might be uniquely South African, but power outages and how to navigate around those both on your side, but also if you've got 10 attendees, how do you navigate around their power issues? Um, excessive noise in the background. Apart from the preparation, remember you've got that mute all button. Use it if need be. Um, people don't think you're being rude. In fact, generally your other attendees are very grateful because uh, they also cannot focus. Um, I think as far as the online problems go or challenges, we could probably carry on for a very long time. But the bottom line is um, communicate with your delegates, be organized, let them know what is expected of them. And where possible, I generally will share my cell phone number so that if they are completely stuck, they can contact me and I can interact with them directly to help them get connected or um, to catch up if they've had power outages and have missed out on a whole lot of work. Lastly, just a little quote, um, technology will not replace great teachers, but technology in the hands of great teachers can be truly transformational. Back in 2020, I accepted the challenge and I haven't looked back. I absolutely love the online training as much as I did the face-to-face -face and do the face-to-face. -face. And I'd like to put that challenge out there to all other trainers, embrace it, enjoy it and make use of those tools to the best of your ability. Thanks, Nick. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much indeed, Lauren. Really, really appreciate that. And I'm sure that many people, you know, around the world will absolutely echo the comments that you've made. So uh, the questions are stacking up. So we're going to move at some pace now, panel, if you don't mind. So Suchitra, go ahead. What's the first question, please? We have a question from Sarah in Sydney, Australia. Virtual classrooms versus real classrooms. Do you see any differences in the learning outcomes? Okay, we had a comment on this a little bit earlier on from uh, from Matt, who was saying not really. Harvard Business School has done a really good study um, looking at uh, different cohorts. Uh, it's a baseline study, and the short answer is no. <laughs> okay, there is no difference in learning outcome. Um, it does tend to boil down to the quality, though, of the content and the way in which it's put across. Um, Matt, anything else to add, just super briefly? So, yeah, there was a study back in 2010 where they had students who didn't go to any lectures, students who went to all their lectures, and then they had a, a group of people who viewed all the online content. The students who went to no lectures but viewed all the online content did just as well as the students who went to every lecture um, you know, the, in the physical classroom. So that was a good study just to kind of demonstrate that, especially for lecturing, online um, lectures can be just as effective. Excellent. Thank you very much. Great question. Um, we're going to move on, if that's okay, to Zaya. Uh, I think yes. we've covered that one. So next question, please, Sachitra. Thanks. 
We have a question from Sheba, Mumbai, India. For a teacher, it can get quite difficult to gauge students' interest in understanding of the topic during online classes. Any advice on how to deal with this? Okay, gauging interest and understanding as you're delivering. Tazaya, go ahead, and then Paul. All right, it's, it's imperative, and especially um, what we do at Net Campus as well, is have virtual icebreakers right in the beginning of your sessions to actively get everybody to get, um, you know, climb out of their shells and right during throughout your sessions, ask, ask the delegates questions. Yes, they can ask you questions, but also pose um, the podium to them to, to actually ask questions to make sure they actually stay interactive with you as the lecturer or the teacher. It works really well. Great advice. Thank you. Great advice. Thanks very much indeed. Paul, go ahead. Um, well, you can ask the oral cues, of course, um, but then sometimes people don't uh, talk as well. Um, but I find the breakout rooms are quite uh, valuable as well because um, how they interact with each other and show their understanding. And also with breakout rooms, you sort of bang right into them as a trainer, so you're right in their face. So, um, you know, as opposed to growing gradually in when you're here face to face, uh, and that can give you really good insights. Yeah, definitely. Uh, consider using polling. Use uh, all of the questioning techniques mm. that you've learned from the classroom. Overhead questions, directed questions, all of these things really do work to help you to be able to gauge that, um, you know, that, that level. Uh, next question, please, Sachitra. We have a question from Joshua in Delhi. Whilst I've adapted to learning online, I'm still a bit terrified of taking assessments and exams online. Any tips on how to overcome this? practice practice go on go online and do mm. the test exam before taking the real one okay and then you'll feel much more comfortable it's just because it's a little unfamiliar uh lauren anything else to add no agreed not practice. really okay <laughs> okay thanks very much uh, Brenda, do you want to add anything I was just going to say with online exams, just test um, your system requirements in advance because that can make you quite panicky if things from a technology standpoint don't work and you've got an exam scheduled. So that can take some of the pressure off. Most definitely. Really good advice. Um, then plug yourself in if you're on Wi-Fi. That also reduces the opportunity for your you know, teenage children to start streaming something heavy or gaming and playing with their mates, you know, while you're trying to do your, your examination. Very good. Um, next question, please, Sachitra. I think we could fit two more in before we wrap up. A question from Jeffrey in Amsterdam, Netherlands. When running virtual online classes, is there an optimum amount of hours to teach during a day of class? Running a full eight-hour online class doesn't seem to get the best results. Okay, Lauren, go ahead. I don't know so much if there's an optimum amount of total hours, but I do know that generally people have a concentration span of 20 to 30 minutes and online even more so. So I would more say make sure you are having regular breaks. Even if you are having a short 10-minute break every 40 minutes, um, that allows people to continue to absorb the information and move around. Thank you. Tazaya? Just to, to, I agree, definitely agree with Lauren there, but it's and besides having regular breaks, I do tell my delegates, please get, get out of your chair, go outside, 
do a stretch, move away from your computer, because then, you know, you get fresh air and you get a different uh, perspective and fresh when you sit down again. Yeah, it's very important uh, to do that, change how you are standing or sitting. Paul, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I think um, often tried shorter days over a longer period of time. Uh, that's worked quite well as well. Depends on the logistics mm. of the client and the class environment. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Uh, great question. Uh, last question now, please, for the panel, Sir Chitra. We have a question from Peter in London in the UK. What is the panel's favourite collaboration tool for virtual classrooms? Okay, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, um, we've had a lot of success using uh, Microsoft products, using Teams. Um, a lot of things integrate with it. You can do forms in the form of qu and quizzes. You can set assignments, class notebooks, really good. Each kid gets their own virtual notebook where they can make notes and you can check that. So I think Microsoft have kind of really upped their game in the past kind of like year or two to apply Teams to an educational setting. And it's worked really well and it's secure as well. Um, which is very important at school, obviously. Um, yeah, I, I would recommend Teams. I think it's great. Okay, thanks very much. Uh, Lauren and then Paul. Also, definitely Teams. Um, for the Not so much for the Teams, for Microsoft Teams itself, but for its compatibility and ease of use with so many other um, apps and, and games and tests and whiteboards, etc. It's all in one place. But I also find Zoom, um, a lot of our delegates find the drag on their network is quite heavy. And Zoom is sometimes a slightly lighter option that still allows me to do most or to use most of the tools that I would in Microsoft Teams. Okay, agreed. Thank you very much, Paul. Yeah, look, I bounce around them. Depending on the client, some clients want Teams, some want Zoom, and sometimes they use the Google stuff. Um, I think some of the Google collaboration tools work really well. Yes, note the security, but most of uh, training stuff is not earth-shattering secrets, so it doesn't actually matter. Um, and it's very collaborative, so, you know, real-time collaboration. So simple tools, freely available. Give them a go. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would definitely echo that. There's a tremendous range that has come to market over the last 18 months, a phenomenal number, actually. So if you're teaching on the two most common platforms, Teams or on Zoom, do now explore those collaboration add-ons for both of those environments because there's a massive range now that integrate with both of them and if you're teaching in the corporate environment it's likely to be one or the other that uh, your customers are going to be using um, yeah. not having having said that though other teaching platforms are of course available <laughs> for you to be able to choose well look really great session thank you so much panel great job everybody in taking us through this whistle stop tour around online learning and uh, teaching so thank you very much indeed what we'll do now is we'll come to each of you for your kind of closing remarks so lauren if you'd like to kick us off and then we'll go to matthew next thanks nick and panel that's been really another great show um, and i'd like to really encourage trainers and educators out there whether you are going to go virtual or face-to-face -face, make use of the tools out there they will truly enhance what you're already doing enjoy them thank you thanks thanks very much lauren uh, matt and then paul 
it's been, yeah, it's been great to be on this panel um, with online learning. I think it is here to stay, like a lot of things that have come out during the pandemic. These technologies have now been tested on a mass scale all around the world. Um, and I hope in school education that perhaps it can move to more of a hybrid model, you know, kind of like work from home some days as kids get older, things like that. As the world of work gets more flexible, maybe the world of education will get more flexible too. Some, some great thinking. Thank you very much, Paul and then Brenda. Yeah, look, uh, the world has changed. and um, uh, But I think we'll see mixed models. And remember, the Japanese Kaizen approach, continuous improvement, try, improve. Thank you very much, Paul. And uh, Brenda and then Tizaya. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, it's been uh, wonderful to, to see all the questions and the feedback from the panels and just uh, a small tip for, for learners, really. I mean, there's a number of psychological studies out there that says memory recall is higher if the recall takes place in the same place as the learning. So um, I'm not sure, you know, how, how that works for people, but if they wish to try it and they'd like to contact me and tell me how they get on. But um, there are some really strong studies that say if you do your examinations in the same place that you do the actual learning, you should get a better outcome. So good luck to everybody and um, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much, Burinda. Great advice there um, as well. I'll take I'll take you up on that. I'll have a go myself at that one. <laughs> thank you, Tizaya. All right, thanks very much for being on this panel and then especially, you know, the first time I've learned a lot from everybody. And uh, what I'd like to just, just add to, to what everybody said is, um, as a learner, please look at what model works for you. One is not better than the other. It's, it's all about how you learn and, and what would actually, you know, fit fit your, sh your shoe size, in other words, in terms of learning. So really, classroom versus online, one's not better than the other. See what works for you. They're both great. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, so, Chitra, it's been an interesting session, this one. Um, your closing thoughts? Yes, indeed, Nick. It has been extremely interesting and insightful, particularly for me, having a student at home. Some of the responses uh, given by the panelists has been very insightful and a good takeaway for me. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you very much. Great job, as ever, in reading out all of the questions, keeping us on track and choosing some great questions from those which have been submitted. So thank you very much um, indeed, everybody. Uh, if you submitted a question online and it wasn't answered today, we will try and get to it. So please do follow us um, here on Level Up. You can find out all about those questions and more answers uh, if you visit apmginternational.com. Mm -hmm. And just search for Level Up. Coming up later on today, at one o'clock uh, British summer time, two o'clock in Europe and 8am over on the eastern seaboard in the US, we return to project and change management. This time we're going to be looking about uh, how to prepare for interviews, whether you're actually in the process of hiring new people to run all of these digital transformation projects or indeed you yourself are in the job market and looking to be hired. So um, tune in for that one. Next Monday in episode 16, we're going to continue our conversation on cyber resilience. Um, that is at the new time now, which is 7pm in Australia, 9pm, I'm afraid, Paul, in New Zealand. So thank you for staying up a little bit later uh, to be with us on our panel today. We appreciate it. That particular episode is all about combating online fraud, something which is on the increase and in having uh, a dreadful impact on vulnerable people around the world. So do join us for that conversation. Later on the same day, 
um, we'll be looking at the next episode around public-private partnerships. And next week, it's all about actually um, around finance. What do you need to understand about PPP finance? What's special about it? What's involved and how to build up your knowledge around that key topic? So please do subscribe to the show. Uh, just point your phone at the little QR code on the screen. It will send you a personal summary of what's coming up next and also some information about how you can join us here on the panel to level up your career with APMG. Thanks very much, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye now.